Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Raw Report podcast in association with the Sun and Green Soup Kitchen. It's Gaz back after Sunderland's 3-1 victory at the stadium late over North City. We're back to winning ways after three head-scratching defeats, I'm going to call them. <laughs> uh, we got back to winning ways with a, with a nice, comfortable one at the stadium late against a team who uh, are in limbo and we took advantage of that and that's not normally a Sunderland thing to do. So it was nice to get back to winning ways and joining me as always to chat about it is Chris. Hiya, mate. Yes, it's nice to talk about a win, isn't it? <laughs> it is, like you said. yes. We had three games. Yeah, well, I texted you um, kind of before the game and said if if we're talking <laughs> about a fourth successive defeat, I might just uh, I might just shoot myself or something to avoid doing this podcast. But I didn't need to because we're here talking about a win. Uh, yeah, we for for a while there though, I was a little bit worried that it might be another defeat we were talking about. But Sunderland actually turned up, didn't they? And um, even before conceding a goal, we were pretty good. I think Tony Mowbray, when he was asked about it after the game, about whether he thought we were totally dominant, he he wasn't quite as um, swayed on it as the interviewer, but he did say for, for large parts of the game we were on top, and that was true. And I think for Sunderland, this was an important victory because you know what it's like when when you when you start getting into a rut and you're conceding goals and you, you're defending poorly or whatever else. Um, the defeats just seem to roll one after the other and, and very quickly you can drop down the table but we, we've we managed to arrest that slide and I think we all expected it to a degree as I certainly did because I've seen Norwich's form coming into it and more importantly I'd watched us play against Leicester very well and felt felt like we could have got something from that game and you know had, had it not been for a dodgy penalty call we might have got something from that game so I was really really confident especially after talking to you after the Leicester game about this one and um I think everything went pretty much according to plan. I think and uh and people wouldn't have seen this, but I, I think I said privately when we were chatting amongst ourselves about predictions and stuff, I predicted a Danny Bart opener from a corner, but he didn't start. Uh, but I did say that they would score and then we would get three. So I was happy with that because I think when we did our pod, I, I agreed with you and said two 0 So I changed my mind during the week, but uh, yeah, I think I think this was pretty much as I expected it to go. I didn't expect a clean sheet, but I did expect Sunderland over the ninety minutes to dominate, and uh, yeah, just really really happy with the performance. And I think this sets us up now because we've got a nice little run of games coming up, and I think this was a really really important game we had to win and. Um, these players have got it. They've got the belief. They believe in themselves, and that's the reason that we we came out with the three points. I think. 
<laughs> Listen to you, man. But yeah, I changed my mind during the week and I got did, it and spot it was, on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I did. Seriously, I'm going to post the evidence. <laughs> now, to be fair, I didn't get it spot on because I said Danny Bart would score, so I did admit that. But yeah, I definitely said 3-1 before the game after I'd spoken to you and, 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 and had my own thoughts on the game. I didn't call you. <laughs> but to be fair, we, we called it though. We said that we expected us to turn up like uh, we did at Leicester with the same mindset. Because actually, if, if you look at those three games, you had the Borough game, which was referee related. And, you know, we I thought we were brilliant first half in that game. Like I said at the time, the Stoke one, that was the big one. That was the bad one. That was the bad yeah, game yeah. in that. And Leicester, we were brilliant as well. So, I mean, you take Stoke out of that run and actually it, it, was, it wasn't really a, a kind of a bad run with bad performances. It was just that whatever happened at Stoke, but uh, but Mowbray seemed to be on it. I mean, it's interesting how quickly he's, he got them back on it after that Stoke performance, which is good because the Leicester one was a big one. We just wanted a performance there. We got it. And I think it was just, it was quite easy for Mowbray to get them up for the Norwich game because it was, we said again, you know, you've set the standard at Leicester. Now we go back to the stadium and like, we play Norwich out of form. You keep that level, that, that performance level up there and you'll wipe the floor with them. And that's what happened. And we, we said, we actually thought it might be quite comfortable. And that's how it turned out. I thought I thought the lads were absolutely brilliant from the off. I thought, again, with the press, quite interesting early on in the game that I noticed we were talking about kind of patterns and playing things like that, and we'll come on to it. But uh, Robertson Clark seemed to be trying to play an early balls in, which was quite interesting. But yeah, absolutely brilliant. And we needed it as well. I mean, because... You know, a slip up, one goal going behind if Norwich, you know, parked the bus and all this sort of stuff. It could have got frustrated, but we were better than that. Yeah, and we were better than them. I thought they were very disappointing. I mean, you look at their team. They were awful. And, I, and, and we, yeah, we, we were talking just before we started recording. I mean, I, I went through the team when it was announced. And you look at it and, you you know, on, on paper, that's a, like a, a pretty solid championship team with a sprinkling of quality in there. Ben Gibson's a, a decent championship centre-half. He's been around the block now, I think. I think it paid a lot of money for him at one point. Shane Duffy, obviously well past his best, but an experienced Premier League and international centre-half who's played for many years at, at a decent level and you would expect to do pretty well in the Championship. Gabriel Sara, who in my opinion is one of the best players in the Championship. He didn't show it in this game. I don't think we saw anything from him, but that's maybe more indicative of the way Norwich are heading and the manager that they've got and just sort of the way that the team's being managed. But Sara is... Comfortably one of the best players in the league was last season. It's a, it's a testament to us that we managed to keep him quiet. Kenny McLean, again, another one who's played in the Premier League. Adam Forshaw has been around for years at the likes of Leeds and Middlesbrough. Roe, the winger, is probably the best, the best player, player they've player. got. Yeah, yeah, he was good. And um, is gaining a lot of notoriety and attention from higher placed teams as a player who's probably going to get snapped up at some point. And, and, you know, yes, he was probably that best player, but I don't even think he had that a great game. I think that's probably, like I say, more indicative of uh, the way we played, that we kept him fairly quiet in, in periods. Uh, the lad up front, Huang's a good player. You look on the bench, Jack Stacey, he played for a lot of years for, for Bournemouth, played in the Premier League. Onel Hernandez is a good player. Marcelino Nunez is a good player. Danny Bart, of course, who never even got on the pitch. So Norwich aren't, you look at that squad and you think they should be challenging for the top six, I think. I think that's a that's a squad that should be doing a lot better than it is. But we I think we've played them at the right time. I think this was a an ideal opportunity to just take advantage because and it, and it was a little bit similar to when we when we faced Stoke, but obviously that went the wrong way around. But you go into the game and you think that you know the manager could be on the brink here and 
it's a really good time to face this side because if you face them in two or three months, they're probably not going to be the same team because David Wagner will be out the door. And yeah, I, I just thought that we handled the game and we handled the situation fantastically. We went out there and we did what we're good at, which was take teams apart. It's interesting that you mentioned um, the early crosses into the into the area mm. from Roberts and Clark. If we've noticed it in analysing the game that we're not doing it enough, then they have. And it's obviously about how well they take instruction on board, isn't it? And from what you gather from what Tony Mowbray has to say about his players, they're like sponges. They're young players. They're willing to listen. They're willing to adapt and improve. But I think, and this is where I want to start the discussion, really, the big thing was that Rusin started up front ahead of Burstow. Now, they've trained with them, and the communication won't be there because they can't speak the same language, and they haven't played together much. But they'll have watched him in training. They'll have seen the way that he... He sort of leads the line. He runs between the defenders. He plays off the shoulder of the last man. And they'll have been thinking, right, he's a proper player. Or he's going to give us room to do what we're good at. I think that was possibly the best thing he offered us in the game because we've had sort of mixed comments on Twitter about um, about Rusin from Sunderland fans. We've had some people saying he was unbelievable. Some people saying he had a really good game and pointing out the qualities that he had. Then a couple of other people saying, I'm not really sure why everyone's talking about Rusin. But I think... And this was something that was really apparent being at the game. When you watch his runs and his movement, it's just on another level to what we've seen from other centre-forwards this season. So I think that the likes of Robertson Clark, they really seem to enjoy benefiting from the space that he gave them. And that was probably as well as I've seen Roberts play this season. And he hasn't had a great season, to be honest. But that's about as well as I've seen him play. Clark will get on to who he was totally dominant. But I think the big call from Tony Mowbray was bringing in Rusin and seeing what he can do, ultimately, because we've all been calling for something different up there. He brought someone else in, and um, I, I honestly think that was a big reason why we won the game. Yeah, discussed that, didn't we? On the, on the pod, we were wondering what he was going to do. We said that we thought the call to bring Rusin in was probably the simple one, but he might not do it. I had a feeling he was going to stick Job up there and, and have Pritchard in there. I thought he was going to go with players he, he kind of really trusted, who he's we, we played before, but... But no, I mean, I mean, I think, I think actually that mix of reactions that you're talking about probably sums up his performance because he was good, he was decent, but he didn't set the world alight. He wasn't anonymous. He didn't go missing. He did some simple things. And the thing is, what we were talking last time about Burstow's contribution, and I think Morbier was disappointed with with Hamia's general contribution, kind of his all round game, closing down and getting involved in moves. And it was Rusin's first start for the team. He, doesn't really speak English yet. He's had a few training sessions. He, he had to get back to full fitness. And that was his first start. And he just looked busy. And he contributed to the to the all-round play. He got involved in moves. He won the ball. Right at the beginning, Norwich, it was really odd because Norwich tried to, they really tried to play out from the back. And it was just bizarre. I, I, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. No idea why they did that. But... Actually, at that point, Rusin was probably the perfect person to have in that position at that point. He was busy. He closed them down and he, he looks good at doing that. And I think I think probably that sticks him ahead of Hamir and Burstow at the minute because he seems the best out of those three to do that. And with the way Mowbray wants to play, I can see Rusin making more of a pitch for that striker role than, than Burstow or Hamir purely because he closes the, the opposition down. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's probably the best we're going to... So that, that sort of ability to do that, that pressing from the front, you know, getting involved, dropping in where he needs to, offering support on the wings to the lads when, when they need it. 
He's. Yeah. I think we've talked about this for a few weeks when we've been discussing this sort of general topic of, of forwards. I think I've said a few times now that long term, I think this team, the way we play, we're going to be playing with somebody like that up front longer mm. term because yeah. a lot of our attacking play comes from, from out wide and that means that you need somebody keeping defenders occupied. That's one of the big issues I've had really with Burstow is that when he hasn't got the ball, he's not busy enough. I mean, Rusin might not score a lot of goals because of this, mm. but the team will be better. The team yeah. will be better because we've got someone doing that. And I mean, you, you ask them players if they enjoyed playing with him. I, w- I would say that I would assume they would all say yes because even when Norwich were camping on the edge of the box a little bit and defending a little bit deeper, because he was busy. It was opening up gaps all over the place. Dan Neal was exploiting it. Job was exploiting it. Occasionally, Eckler was exploiting it. The lads out wide were exploiting it. It was, it was just a much more fluid front four, five players that we had, just purely because of the of the system and the, and the just the, the attributes of Rusin really. And like you say, it's it's sort of early days. Doesn't really speak the language as we know. Um, fitness wise, he, he was injured when we signed him. He's had to take a little bit of time just to get into the team, but that's promising to me. I think goals will. I think he will get goals because there'll be games away from home, especially where where we're a little bit deeper. And you know how good we are on the counter attack. He'd be out awesome, just sort of belting it forward, linking up with Clark and Roberts and all the rest of them when when we've got space to do it with that pace he's got in the in the movement. We yeah we we didn't sit that. I think I think the mark of this performance and and someone else said this and I totally agreed with it, but the the mark of this performance was that you actually noticed him on the pitch, where I haven't really noticed Burstow a lot. And, and I, I'm not I'm not digging into Burstow. I'm just it's the only real thing I've got to compare to here mm. is the performances we've seen from Burstow and then Rusin in this game. And Burstow against Chef Wed was brilliant, but I really noticed Rusin in this game, and I'm just excited to see where it goes from here. Yeah, it sounds like he's impressed Mowbray. It sounds like he's going to get more games. And that's what you want. You want to, you want to, you want to see him get a run. I don't want him coming back out the team after a game, putting somebody else in. We need to see the lad giving a go. Let him have three, four, five games up front to show what he can do. Don't about you. I just felt a little bit more confident with him up there than than I have done with pretty much anyone this season. Yeah, yeah. And the, the other aspect of the game where you, you noticed him most because that I think the main one was was the fact that he closed them down and he was busy. And whenever they had the ball, he was he, like I said, he was he was all over them. But the other one was stretching the play, which is something we've we've needed. I mean, that was what one of the things Ross Stewart was really good at. He made runs down the line, right down the middle, you know, wherever it was on the pitch. But he ran towards the opposition's goal and he stretched the pitch for us. And you saw there was a few times we played the ball more direct than we've done all season. But what it did, it, it got us 30, 40 yards up the pitch quickly, and we could we could start a move from the final third of the pitch rather than the halfway line and, co- and and kind of try and move up slowly where Norwich have, or the oppos- whoever the opposition is have already got their defensive kind of set up in place when we're bringing the ball up forward. If we get the ball up forward, which we did quicker, which we did, like I said, um, when Ross Stewart was in the team, we used to do quite a lot. But Rusin did that. He stretched them. He looked for balls down the line. He looked for balls over the top. He was on the last shoulder. It did look good. It, it worked. But, as we said, Norwich were crap, and he's gonna True. get bigger. He's gonna get bigger tests than yeah. the Norwich City, especially at our place when a crap Norwich City side tried to play it out from the back. <laughs> like I said, at one point, I just 
I just couldn't. I was almost laughing watching it. I was going, what? There was no reason for it. Like, these players couldn't <laughs> handle it. They were trying to play it out from the back and giving it away almost every time. And in the end, they gave up. Because it was interesting as well how we lined up in midfield. At times, we've been talking about, you know, Equa and Dan Neal sitting in front of the back four and then Job or Pritchard or whatever is sitting in front of them. It was a very obvious one player sitting in front of the back four, which was Equa, and Dan Neal and Job really pushed on. We almost had a kind of front five because it seemed like from the instruction, Dan Neal had been told, don't worry about what's behind you. We want you getting forward. And we'll come on to it later, but just talking about Rusin and because I've mentioned Rusin and Dan Neal, the things sometimes you don't see or it's not obvious with, with strikers, but one of the reasons Dan Neal scored that second goal was because of Rusin's movement. Mm-hmm. And we, we haven't had that type of movement for a good few weeks. So when you talk about Rusin scoring, he's one of these players who I think gets around double figures, 10, 15 goals. Yeah. I don't think he gets many more than that. But what he will do, he's going to create opportunities for others just by his movement. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that about sort of effectively gambling by letting Neil and Bellingham join the attack because, I mean, over the 90 minutes it worked. We, you know, we were the better side and we dominated because of it. But when you watch their goal, and we might well get into this, if you watch their goal, we're all at sea because there's a non-existent midfield, which is something we've been whinging about since last season. Let's talk about it anyway. So the goal itself, there's a few <laughs> few things I think we need to talk about here. Um yep. <laughs> potential offside which a lot of people felt there was you know the players the Sunderland players certainly felt there was an offside we've with our one camera angle um, not the best sort of picture of the pitch looking back at it uh, with that we, it's, it's, it is it's is tough but I'll be honest it's not necessarily the offside call or at least the fact that he wasn't offside I don't think he was offside basically but it's not necessarily that I've got the issue with Pierre was looking to the linesman to see whether it's offside. And if you watch the linesman, he brings his both hands into his flag as if he's going to raise it. Is it. That's sort of what you do. Bring your hand in, raise your flag. So his hands come in and then he he slows down slightly and then the, the guy who ends up setting the goal up, who flies past Ekwa, who who didn't touch the ball, it was someone else who was offside, he runs onto it and then the linesman's playing catch-up to catch-up to him. I, I just think that it was the... Body language of the linesman, which confused Pierre Equa. And I think when, a lot of people have said when you're a kid, you're told, you know, play at the whistle. And that is true. You know, you, you should play at the whistle. But if you put yourself in his situation there, he's waiting for the decision. The linesman looks like he's about to call. He doesn't. And it's just that split second which changes everything. And then they bomb on down that right-hand side. Equa, in my opinion, should clear the ball the second chance he gets. He's right out on the touchline. All he's got to do is go through his man and win the ball. Might get booked for it, but it, it kills the attack dead, doesn't it? But I think he's still a bit confused as to what's going on. He, I think Mowbray called it switching off, which is probably more accurate. Mm. They they get it across, and it's a it's actually a lovely finish from Huang to put Norwich ahead. But what's your take on that whole situation? Because there's a few things there, isn't there? There's quite a lot to sort of yes. to, to grasp. And like I say, the I was probably more disappointed with the fact that we were just positionally a mess for that yeah. goal. We had Huggins miles up the pitch, O'Neill miles up the pitch, Equa totally out of position, Dan Neal and Benningham nowhere near what was going on. And like I said at the very start of uh, my point here, me and you last season and this season, it's been a big gripe of ours that we just leave so much room through the middle. 
when we're being counterattacked against. We're, we're very easy to counterattack against, I think, sometimes. And I think that was a good example of it, is that, you know, yes, you can talk about the offside thing, but positionally, structurally, it wasn't good enough from Sun and we got caught out. Right. Where to start here? There's a load to unpack. There is a load. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so for me, the, the midfield wasn't necessarily the biggest issue, but okay, it might have been a, an element of it. But the, I, I want to start with Job trying to trying to flick, which he didn't really need to try. Yes, like, yes. Keep the ball, keep possession of the football. You know, all right, it looks great and all this sort of stuff. But he's, I mean, again, he's. I guess that's the other side of having an eighteen-year-old making well, his yeah. first sort of steps into the game. You know, he's going to make daft mistakes, isn't he? Yeah, obviously. But but I saw I saw an interview with him before the game, and it's brilliant because he loves playing at the Stadium of Light. And actually, I think what he wants he wants to be brilliant at the Stadium of Light, and he wants to kind of just make things happen, which is fantastic. And I love it. And you don't want to take that out of his game. But there's the situations on the pitch. He's going to learn that you just sometimes just don't do it when you're committing that many players forward. You've got to be careful because teams are going to catch mm. you on the break. So that that's where it all started. And like I said, I don't think necessarily the positioning of the midfield because if you look, Dan Neal and Job committed themselves. They've pushed forward, which we want them to do. Egwer, for a defensive midfielder, was was actually positioned really well. You've called it where I think the problem was. Huggins was committed to... Well, I actually think... I don't think it was a bad thing that Huggins was actually up the pitch. I think the problem was what Ballard or nine and Hume was doing. Yeah. Or nine was on the right-hand side, almost in the full-back position. So Hume pushed across, and Hume was almost that second centre-half. And what happened, what seemingly happened was Ballard stepped out to try and play offside, and he left Trey Hume in behind him. So Trey Hume was the last man. So because it all happened so quickly, the defensive setup wasn't there. I don't think Ballard really knew what was behind him. He tried to play offside. He stepped out. And then we get onto the offside or the not offside. You know, I mean, I've slowed it down as much as I possibly can, try to see if it was offside or not, which probably tells a story. And I probably, I'm going on the side of that. It was, the player was actually onside. And I'm not talking about the second runner. I'm talking about the first one. But yeah. even if he, even if he was off, I mean, you're talking about you're talking about millimeters. I mean, it was tight. It was a tight call, and then the ball got played down the line, and you almost heard the crowd all shout oh, offside, which then I think kind of made the the linesman a bit twitchy. But honestly, I mean, I think you you take that out of the equation. You're you're talking about Equa waiting for a decision. Why should players? You don't wait for a decision. You clear everything out. Oh, yeah. You, yeah, yeah. you just deal with it. I mean, that the ball's there to be won. Some players, you know, even if you hear a whistle, still do it just in case, you know what I mean? And the thing is, if if we've learned one lesson from the last, well, yeah, I don't know, 18 months or forever, that you can't trust officials. You can't trust them to blow a whistle. For Edward to be even looking at the linesman, because whatever the linesman's doing, he's got nothing to do with Edward. He's got, a, he's got his job to do. And I'm talking about Edward. Edward's got a job to do. He's that defensive midfielder. The ball's there. He's in a position where he can clear it or, or just commit a foul or do whatever, do something. You're, you, that's your job. Forget about what the linesman's doing. Like He might be twitching. He might be kind of, I don't know, he might be he might have fallen over for all you know. It doesn't matter. You, you crack on with your job. But the other thing that I was thinking that, for me, Ekwa looked really good on the ball, but he still doesn't look fully fit. 
when he was off the ball. And I'm wondering whether things like that were were part of him not being fully fit, where he had this kind of sprint for it and he had to do a job. And he looked, like I said, he looked really relaxed when he was on the ball. He looked tidy, as he always does. But off the ball, I'm not quite sure he's there with with his fitness yet. But it, it was a tight call. It wasn't a definite you know, he's miles offside. It was a, it, it was really tight. I actually think he was onside, if, if I'm completely honest. But you deal with it. You can't wait for officials to blow the whistle. You just deal with it. And again, we're talking about goals that we concede and we're talking about things going wrong. You know, it's it's not like we're done by worldies every week. No. And th- this this one was a bad one. And it was, it was really ridiculous as well because the whole thing was crap. And it was the first time I think Norwich had even getting into our half, uh, like 20, 22 minutes or something. But again, even after that, though, it just, it just still seemed like I, I never felt worried. Even when we went behind, no, I just yeah. thought, I just thought, well, yeah, we'll still win this. It, it was not failing. That's exactly how I felt watching it at the game. Yeah, I, I wasn't, I wasn't phased at all. I kind of just shrugged my shoulders. I was, yes, I was disappointed we conceded, but I think I'd seen enough in that first twenty odd minutes from us to indicate we weren't just going to collapse. I mean, this team doesn't really, does it? That you you know we have the odd occasion where we will we will collapse, but more often than not, when we concede, you always fancy us to get something back at least, and and that's pretty much what happened. I thought you know we kicked back off and we were pretty positive. You know we had, I don't even think we I obviously forgot to mention it, but even before that goal, Clark hit the post, didn't he? The out uh, the outside of the post with a shot. That gen those general pattern, patterns of play where we were building it down the right hand side, playing it across the box, we were getting it to Clark a lot quicker. I noticed as well. It wasn't. It wasn't like we were trying to one two our way down the right hand side and then taking too long to to move it. The, the passing and everything seemed just a little bit sharper here, and you know there's a touch of good fortune about the the goal that we got to, to equalise because obviously it hits um, it hits Shane Duffy on the way in, and it's not the best shot from Hume either, is it? I don't think I don't think he would have scored if it hadn't hit yeah, Duffy. Crap. Um, <laughs> but 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 what I would say is is if you don't shoot, you know. It, sometimes that's been our problem, you know. In, in recent weeks, Mowbray was talking after the uh, the Leicester game and after the Stoke games about the sort of toothless nature of our play at times. We were having lots of the ball, but not really creating things. And you don't always have to score the perfect goal. Sometimes somebody's just got to pick the ball up around the outside of the box and have a pop. And that's what happens sometimes. It just deflects in off somebody, and it doesn't have to be the best shot. Normally it isn't because when it's flying wide, the defender thinks, "All right, I'll stick stick a leg out here," and that's. I think that's pretty much why we scored actually, because Duffy's Duffy's committed to to sort of approaching the ball, but he's he's almost on his knees. I think it's like a weird sort of action. I think I take an old, I take what I when I try to like when I get down and sat on the floor with a bend and I try to stand back up. You know that sort of oh, everything creaks in your body. It was a, it was that sort of motion, wasn't it, from him? And um, yeah, it, it goes in, and it, like I say, it was it was a pretty ugly goal. I mean. You can tell by the way Hume celebrated it. He wasn't he wasn't exactly impressed himself. He was just happy that we scored. But <laughs> I would use this as a big example of the players actually coming away from it if I was Mowbray. Just say, you know what it is? Sometimes do what he just did. When you've got the ball around the box and there's a little bit of space opening up in front of you, have a pop. They might not always go in. It might deflect. It might, you know, it might rattle into someone's path. The keeper might palm it into your path. When you need a goal, don't be scared to just do things like that. It might come off, it might not. But I would rather see us do that three or four times in a game than just play it around the box and not shoot. You know, timing is everything. 37th minute of the game, yeah. it meant that, you know, we, we were going to go into the back end of the half um, with our tails up and a bit of an advantage. 
and like I say, all because Hugh really would just have the balls to take a shot on, which uh, I think is commendable. Yeah. I, I honestly think it's it's slightly debatable whether he tried to whip across to the back post. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of because he hit it that it it was weird. The if it was a shot, it was a strange way to. He is a, a, a right back, though, isn't he? That's, you know, yeah, yeah. He's not his forte. But as you said, I mean, I think actually the best that kind of span out of what where we started with the, the discussion about the, the start of the game with Clark and Roberts giving it quickly, because we talked about the Leicester and Stoke game where Clark and Roberts were just hanging onto the ball for too long and they ended up losing the ball, essentially, and kind of giving away possession. And you could see from the off that they've clearly had a word uh, with Clark Roberts to say it, like have an end product, like release the ball at the right time, because Roberts was especially Roberts was doing that, and this actually came from that because I think in the last couple of weeks Roberts would have tried to cut back and try to take the full back on again because he kind of beat him and then I think he had to stretch for it and then he ended up just passing it to Hume, but I think in the last couple of weeks I don't think he would have played that pass, and so he played it back to Hume and then. Like I said, Hume, like the way the way he struck it. Like I said, I think it's debatable whether he tried to whip it to the back post, but uh, but whatever, it makes no odds because, like you said, you stick it into a good area and it can hit off anybody off his off his backside or whatever. And Duffy, people hang out a foot. He hung out his whole body for some reason, and uh, <laughs> just uh, and the the keeper was a bit crap as well. But uh, but yeah, it, it we we deserved it though. That was a thing. It we it was only one team in it, and it would have been criminal if we hadn't getting back into the game before half time. Again, I think you're right. That not only teaches us a bit of a lesson about Hume kind of taking a gamble, but Roberts as well, releasing the ball at the right time and giving someone else an opportunity to to, to create something. Absolutely, and like I said, the timing of the goal was was great because it was close to half time, but not close enough where we were like thinking, right, okay, let's get in now, ones each. We still had the I think it was like eight minutes of normal time, and then whatever was going to get added on. So we played well up until they scored. We played well after they scored. We got a goal and then we had like, what, 10, 12, 13 minutes or whatever with all the add-ons and all the rest of it to crack on and keep going and keep the pace up. And, you know, the way we play, we want to just keep scoring goals and that's virtually what happened, you know. We just kept going at them and it was a bit of magic from Jack Clark which got us the second goal. That that Jack Clark was missing against Stoke, didn't play so well against Borough. But that version of Jack Clark which we saw in this game, that's the one which is getting all the plaudits and the headlines and everyone's talking about them. Because when you see them do, just do that, in, it, it's, I, I, I keep coming back to this thing that you said about just having that one trick that no one can stop. But it's true, because he's like, he's gangly and he, he's sort of like, he's got quite long legs, hasn't he, for a winger. and But he's got a fantastic touch and he's really good at using his arms. So combine all those physical attributes with the fact that he's quick and, and, and tricky and he's got finesse and, and all the rest of it, it makes him really difficult sometimes to defend against. And I don't think they knew what to do with him. He was just sort of skipping around them, wasn't he? And in the end, he got himself into a good position. And he could have had a shot, actually. He wasn't he wasn't badly positioned for a for a shot if he'd wanted it. But Dan Neal had already pointed away, wanted the ball a couple of seconds before Clark had even finished his runoff. And Dan Neal made a proper a striker's run, really. That's the type of thing you want to be showing the young forwards we've got, like to Hemier and... And Burstow and Mayanda and all the rest of them and saying, look at that, starting deep, making a run, getting into a good position, relying on his teammates and, and trusting them. Made a fantastic run, but the finish was lush. It was absolutely gorgeous, that flick. 
he passes the ball like that sometimes where he just sort of flicks it over people's feet and knowing there's 50-50s and the ball drops and someone's charging at him and he'll just make them look daft by flicking it over them. Um, I've seen him do that loads of times, but I've never seen him do that to a goalkeeper where he sort of sits him down and just lifts it slightly over them, timing it perfectly. And uh, it was a gorgeous goal, just a lovely goal. Another one to add to the, to the highlight reel for Sunderland uh, under Mowbray because, you know, not many teams can do that. Not many teams have the players of with the ability to do that in the Championship either. It's sort of goal you see in the Premier League and in, in the top divisions across Europe, but not often in the Championship. Yet we've got players who can make it look very easy to do something which is actually very, very difficult to do. Yeah, this this was a brilliant goal. I love this goal. Um, it, it said a lot about our team, this goal. But the, the Jack Clark that you're describing, though, the, the, the one that turned out against Norwich, this is the one we've got to kind of keep stum about and hide. <laughs> Impossible because it's not even. Yeah. No one is. It's not even Sunderland fans who are doing the talking. Yeah. It's. I go on even now after games. I'm going on to Twitter and all the sort of prominent accounts to cover the EFL. The the love Clark. Whenever he does anything, he's the sort of like look how good Jack Clark is, and it's hard yeah. to keep keep him under wraps. Unfortunately, given uh, given what he's up to. Yeah. Well, let's keep promoting the one that turned out against Stoke and say that's what he's like every week. But but you know what? You know, Jack Clark reminds me a little bit when he's on the ball because he's so relaxed on the ball and he's so like you said, he's he's a slightly gangly and slight, but he just looks so calm on the ball and you know he's he's eyeing up the defender. He he makes you know he reminds me a lot of and I don't think he's in his class yet. Um, although he's got he's got time on his side, but he reminds me of Chris Waddle. I knew you were going to say that. Did you? <laughs> yes, I did. I've never said it. I've never said it before. But yeah, no, just, I just I knew just... I knew I knew who you were picturing. Either that or uh, or, or Alan Johnson, maybe. I was just no, thinking Johnson, of somebody. Jo- Johnson was more tricky, and I think he was more. He was just a bit smaller. But it, it, he's his style just reminds me of Chris Waddle a little bit. Uh, the way that like how relaxed he is on the ball and that how he beats people as well is is his run to be two or three. You know, it, it was typical Jack Clark. We, we see it. I was about to say we see it often, but we're supposed to be keeping stum about that. I, for, I forgot <laughs> already. But but the the other thing, I, I'm going to disagree with you on the, the Dan Neal thing when you said that was a typical striker's run because from the position I think we played him, it was like almost like a typical uh, Frank Lampard run, you know, running from yeah, deep, yeah. running from deep, getting into the box. But what Rusin did, because Clark cut inside, Rusin ran to the near post, so he almost ran towards Clark, and a couple of defenders went with him, and Dan Neal just occupied that space that was left behind. And Frank Lampard, that that's basically what he based his whole career on, making that run that Dan Neal did, and it was it was fantastic. The timing was perfect, and if you if you watch that the the replay back of the goal, I counted seven Norwich players in the box defending. And only only Rusin, who ran to the front post, and Dan Neal, who made the run, just ran completely through them. And the ball was so good that it just split seven players, took them all out of the game. And Dan Neal, and his run was so well-timed. He ran onto the ball, perfect. Just, you know, he had, the ball was perfect, the run was perfect, and he had the perfect amount of time to do what he did and flick it past the keeper. Unbelievable finish. And this is what, you know, we've been talking about um, Dan Neal kind of progressing and becoming, you know, the player that we think he can be. And at times, I think we've stunted his progression a little bit because, we've, especially with Corey Evans last season, he was forced to play that deeper role. And he has done a little bit this season as well, um, especially with, with Ekwa getting injured. 
and now you can see that run he can make and that kind of extra side to his game, which we haven't seen too much and that he's going to add to his game. And again, just like Clark, he's going to be another one that we're going to have to keep quiet about because um, we're talking about Jack Clark and Dan Neal and we have done for most of this season. They've they've been head and shoulders above anything in, that I've seen in this division in terms of individual players. I think they're fantastic. So, um, yeah, we should stop. Uh, we should stop talking about them, really. <laughs> well, we went in the half time two one up, and you know you were on about how you you never felt sort of worried when we went one down. I mean, being two one up, I, I went in the half time and I thought, God, Norwich are shite, aren't they? They're absolutely <laughs> terrible. They don't even deserve to be in the game, really. And you could tell that they were they were a bit panicked by the way they'd finished the first half. And when a team's panicked, you sort of think, right, well, they're going to go in at half-time and they're going to totally change the way they approach everything. They're going to make loads of subs, which they did. They made they made changes and tactically they were a little bit more open. But it didn't matter because we were just totally dominant. I mean, I'm looking at the, at the statistics now. We had 17 shots, nine shots on target, 63% of the possession. We made 230-odd more passes than they did. We had 89% pass accuracy. They only had 79. We had seven corners. We took them all short, like, but we still had seven corners. We were we were the better team. We we coasted really. And it was something we were talking about, I think it might have been after QPR away or around that time. Talking about just how the game management's improved when we get ahead. Like in the past, you know, even thinking back to sort of last season, I think when we played Norwich at home last season, I think we were ahead in that game. And then they made a couple of subs and I just felt by the quality of player they brought on in that game. I think they brought on Cantwell and Timu Puki, who are both good players. Um, I felt when they did that, I think, oh, you know, you sort of expect them to get back in the game and they did. Whereas this time around, they didn't have that same sort of... I didn't fear them at all. Not that Norwich are typically a fearsome team, but I always think of them as being a good football inside and a good attacking team and... I just saw nothing from them that worried us at all, which played into our hands totally. Second half, we we were just cruise control, had the ball, managed the game well. There were moments where we weren't great, but you know, I think overall, I think we had the the lion's share of the ball, we had the lion's share of the possession, and um, they started taking more and more risks as the game went on, which is eventually how we got the third goal. But we were making changes and it wasn't really affecting the way we played. It was actually, you know, it was like a continuation continuation of what had happened. Sirkin came on for Huggins and gave us that sort of width down the left-hand side. Bark came on and does, did what he, he seems to have done quite a lot of recently. Uh, Pritchard came on and gave us that assurance. Chris Rigg came on, really impressed with him, by the way. Thought he was, he was fantastic when he came on and just not be long before he started games of football and then... Hamir came on up front and, and actually made some decent runs and got in good positions. And yeah, he, you know, he might might be a bit upset he didn't score one or two. Um, and I'll get on to it when we talk about the third goal. But he, he's probably a bit annoyed that he didn't get a better chance to score. But our subs didn't really harm us where I thought with Norwich, even though they brought on good players. Like I went through the team before, you know, Stacey came on, Onel Hernandez came on, Nunez came on. There weren't any better for it where where I thought we were. I thought we just sort of we we never missed a step when we made our changes, and that meant that you know when when they started to tire, we we could take advantage. Maybe maybe we should have took more of an advantage than we did, but I thought second half was just a, a really sort of good bit of game management from from the team and from Mowbray, which was needed because 
when we done the pod the other day, we were talking about how Mowbray's game management's actually been off in recent weeks. Stoke game, the Leicester game, Borough game, second half. Um, there were times in those games where you're thinking, God, what are you doing with your subs? What are you, why, why is he changing this? Why is he changing that? I think maybe he's maybe had a bit of a wake-up call. It's not. It's it, obviously it's a lot easier when you two one up at half time. It's a lot easier to work out your sort of your, your roadmap from there through the second half. But I thought generally as a half of football, it was pretty good, and um, Mowbray got it right, and the players seemed to know what they were doing, which we we said they didn't seem to know what they were doing in recent games. Mm. So I was really happy with it. I can't disagree with any of that. We we continued the uh, the second half where we where we left off the first. We dominated the game, dominated the ball. We did. We I have to say though, we did. I think you, you you touched on it a little bit. We did have a couple of brain farts. I mean, there was one. There was one around the hour mark where they got in down our right, and they ended up hitting the post with the header. Yeah. Uh, it was. It was. It was. It was the outside of the post when I think it was. Yeah, sort but of, we, yeah. we just we just we just fell asleep down um, mm. our right. They got in behind and got a, got a ball in the box. Actually, I wanted to mention though, it was around that time. Robert's got an elbow right in the face. Like right on the touchline on about it was about on the hour mark. It was right in front of the linesman, and I mean it's a red card all day. But and the other thing it was there was about five minute period after we made the first batch of subs, where it, we're talking about game management. Norwich at one point, I mean they had a, they had a couple of I mean they were all half chances. They didn't really have any clear cut chances, but there was one. Um, Patterson had to make a, a decent save, and there was one half chance that came because. Like we're two one up at home, and Ballard Ballard stormed forward. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, left us with two at the back, and I'm like, I don't want about game management. The the last person you expect that from is is Ballard at the back, like charging. <laughs> he ended up kind of joining the joining the attack. He was kind of for some reason he just disappeared. They almost caught us on the break, but they didn't deserve it. Like I said, we we were in complete control, and it was just these little things that a two one. I mean. At three one, you go. Oh well, that's fine. You know, get another one or whatever. You've got you've got that kind of security. But at two one, with about fifteen minutes to go, it, you know, just kind of keep a level head and just get the three points. You know, just you don't you don't need to do that at two one. But yeah, like you said, we dominated the game, kept the ball well, but we looked dangerous though, which is good because we've talked about having lots of the ball in recent weeks and not looking like we're going to create anything with it. We did in this game. I thought every, most times when we went forward, we looked like we were finding space. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how much was that playing Norwich it were crap or was that us being good? Um, And we'll see that in, in kind of weeks to come. Hopefully the Leicester game was possibly a bigger sign of, you know, how well we're playing rather than this Norwich game in a weird way. But yeah, and then you talked about the subs. Um, Hamia got on for more than two minutes, which was good. He got, he got <laughs> kind of 20, 25 minutes. And... We'll mention Hamira. I guess we can come on to the penalty now, I suppose. Yeah, well, in real time watching that, I'm looking at Hamira's run and I'm thinking, you've got to pass it to him here. You've got to. And I actually think if if Clark hadn't won the penalty, we'd be slating him right now for not <laughs> passing that ball because there's, no, there's really no need for him to cut back out to the outside. I mean, it happens because they're so clumsy at the back. It's not because Clark was clever or anything. I mean, I'll go, I'll go right back to the start of it. You mentioned earlier about Norwich playing out from the back and not looking comfortable. Well, that's where the goal came from. I think it was Shane Duffy had the ball in possession and he takes a fairly heavy touch, which takes the ball way way away from him and Clark's already pressing him and capitalises and captures the ball back from him. Hamir's positioning is brilliant. If you just watch him, right, 
Watch, even when we don't have the ball, when the ball's going to Duffy, Hamir's gambling. He's actually he's he's already thinking if we win the ball here, yeah, I need to be in a good position. So Hamir's actually pushed quite high, and he's sort of in between the uh, Duffy and the other defender, which is a good sign. I think that's a really good sign, even though he's not scored yet. He's not full of confidence and not really getting many minutes. He's doing the right things off the ball, which is good. And yeah, Clark closes him down, wins the ball, which is all fantastic. And then Hamia makes a re- another really good good run. He sort of he goes forward, then drops back five yards, which gives him the space. If if Clark wants to knock it along him, Hamia's got a clear shot on goal and nobody round him. And uh, yeah, Clark Clark, I think in that situation was maybe a little bit selfish, but it's hard to criticize him because he does do the defender. I think it's McLean again. I think it's McLean who gives the the penalty away. He does do him. It's like tired legs hanging a leg. Clark's too quick for him. He he brings him down. No complaints about the penalty. Not one Norwich player contests it. But it it seems daft because Clark won the penalty. He scored the penalty. It was a well-taken penalty. But up there I'm going, oh, I wish he'd passed it to him. Yeah, I just, I'm just i dying for <laughs> one of these strikers to get a goal. And uh, yeah, Himia didn't look impressed if you if you watch him. When, even when we've won the penalty, he's punching the ground and sort of screaming. <laughs> well, he, as he, to be honest, I'm, I'm glad he, that he reacted like that because he's a striker. He's trying to make an impression and he should be frustrated that the, the players on the pitch that supply him with chances, one of them had the chance to and didn't. I would be frustrated and you want to see that sort of um, that attitude from centre-forwards because the centre-forwards have to be selfish to be goal scorers. But uh, yeah, well-taken penalty from Clark. There was no doubt that it was a penalty. I'm just a little bit disappointed for him here in that situation because I think, I think he worked hard off the ball to... Even sort of create the space as well, you know, for for Clark to run into. Um, yeah, just it it sounds daft to even be sort of picking at it because we we scored and it killed the game dead. <laughs> but I think we're all desperate for for one of these strikers to get up and running, and that was a that was as good a chance as him. Yeah, will will get at any point to get in a good position to score. Yeah, no, no, you're right. Um, like I was going to mention his movement as well. I thought his movement was great. He got into a really good position. But I just just mentioned like how Clark made this for himself, because this is something we don't often mention, but Clark, it's it's one of the things Clark is really good at when the defenders are in possession of the ball. He waits for just the right moment and sticks a leg out and gets a touch onto it. And the amount of times he nicks the ball off a defender's toe is ridiculous. He's really good at timing <laughs> it. I mean, I remember, was it, um, he did it at Fulham in the cup last year. That was yeah, yeah. it. That was a big one. But you could probably rattle like five or six off in in the last kind of you know six months. Even the season, like yeah. There's been I think yeah. there's been quite a lot this season, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I th- I'm sure he might have done it against Southampton, but he's the way he does it. Like I said, he times it. He times it to perfection where he sticks a leg out. He knows exactly when the defender's going to take a little touch, and you know, and someone like uh, Duffy, you you know, it, it cart horse. He kind of took ages <laughs> to kind of stick a leg out. Uh, Clark, it was pretty easy for Clark to to, to nick it off him, but. But yeah, I mean, and I think that might have been part of it that because Clark made it for himself, I think he was kind of thinking, right, well, I'm I'm going to finish this off because I've I've done this, I've 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 created this chance. But yeah, Hamia got into a great position, and you know, and and it is interesting because you know we're talking about Premier League teams looking at this, and you know, if if the scouts were there and all this sort of stuff, it's one of the things that they'll be talking about that. You know, if they brought them in, they would probably work on because uh, you, you go at the very top. You look at the Man Cities and the Arsenals of the world. You go back to Wenger's Arsenal and all this sort of stuff. That actually players got in that position, and nine times out of ten, the top players 
you know, laid off. They don't do the difficult yeah. thing. They, they do they do the easy thing. Well, even that Manchester derby, if you look at Haaland's on a hat-trick, yeah. in a position to score and he puts it across goal to Foden to just tap it in. Yeah. You know, that's what the top players do. Even though they are selfish footballers, it was a better option to pass it yeah. and, he, and he did. So, yeah, you're right. But yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, he won the penalty, and like I said, we're, you can't I'm not going to try and not to to whinge about win the penalty and getting the third goal at, at home because. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and and the other yeah. thing as well, I mean, I saw an interview with uh, uh, with Clark after the game, and I hadn't realised actually that you know it wasn't a conscious thing that he'd kind of taken on the the mantle of being the penalty taker. It it sounded like I hadn't realised that what the story was behind it, how suddenly he just kind of fell into it, and he was suddenly the. The, the new penalty taker, but he's he's got it like you're really confident when he steps up. I, I, I mean, penalties with Sunderland have been a strange thing. We seem to go through phases. Sudden, you know, sometimes we fall on a really good penalty taker who you're confident of, and then we go through periods where we can't score one. Do you remember back in the Premier League where I think we we might have had the record for like consecutive scored penalties or something like that? It was weird. Yeah. I think yeah. Seb Larson used to take them then, but we and, we went on a really bent. big. Yeah, ben we had a really well. big we had a really big run where we hadn't missed a penalty for years, and mm. then I can't remember who brought that one. Someone, someone will get back to us on Twitter and tell us who that was. But yeah, yeah, and I remember missing two in one game, Terry Butcher's first game, um, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, so we've had uh, you know, but being mixed over the years with penalty, but Jack Clark at the minute with penalties, you just when he steps up, you are getting better. I think the first couple he took this season were a bit scuffed, but. Uh, that, well, the last couple have been good. So yeah, he's got a, he's got a crack and penalty on himself. It was it was a strange one because I think um, even though everyone was celebrating the penalty, you thought, oh, you know, well we could have just been three one up and Emir got his first goal. But having said that, Emir did something similar in injury time when there was Chris Rigg running behind him, and uh, instead yeah. of kind of letting it roll through to Rigg, who was kind of facing goal, he tried to hook it and. Skied it about twenty yards over the bar. So um, you know, if any if Amiga's kind of dishing it out, then uh, he's got to be able to take it off because I don't think Chris Rigg was too happy. No, he didn't look impressed, did he? But uh, no. yeah, we 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 managed to get the win and uh, thoroughly deserved it. I mean, before we we get some final thoughts on the performance, I'll do the three word reviews which we've got from the Rotor Report Twitter page. Uh, we'll start off with Jeff Ram, who says Equa's left peg. Uh, Chris Jones says Rusin up top. Eric Platten says back on track. Hazy says, worst linesman ever. Uh, Phil Smith says, what we needed. John Wilson says, Lino was appalling. David Keeler says, Neil Gorgeous finish. The Beast says, back with confidence. Steve A says, on the up. Sam Blakey says, Jack Raymond Clark. And he said, jam there. Uh, Claire Atkinson says, no crisis here. Joshua says, Rusin the man. Uh, GM407 says, back on track again. Lots of those ones. Uh, uh, Donaldon Charlie says defensive worries persist. Oh, I like this one. I like this one. SR7, I think this is a, in reference to uh, Daniel Jaradonna. Bossed it. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, he's from heaven, but we'll give you it. Jaradonna. Um, SEFC <laughs> uh, Pete says vital three points. Uh, Kevin Lewis says strikers. What strikers? Uh, Tony Burns <laughs> says stuff the canaries. Yarmnat says Clark Kane Jude. Thinks he's England quality. Uh, Paul Cook says on the road again. That's four, Paul. You're the first person to do that in a while. Um, and we, we well, thought we'd clamp, he is. clamp right Three down. Word police. Yeah. Uh, then two con- contrasting ones to to end off on. Uh, Andy Coyle says Rusin looks good, and then Kitch says Rusin isn't fast. 
isn't fast. I don't know what game you were watching there. Like I thought, thought you looked pretty pacey to me. But uh, there he's we not, go. He's not light then, but he's not no, but slow he at the same pretty, time. He looks pretty quick to me. Um, but yeah, just some final thoughts on the on the result. And Chris, I mean, we've got a week till we play Swansea. We're not going to go into that because we'll do a preview on it. But um, like I said at the top of all this, it it does set us up nicely, doesn't it, for for what lies ahead? I mean, you look at the fixtures and. Uh, after this, we've got Swansea, Birmingham, Plymouth, Huddersfield, Millwall, West Brom. That's a that's not a bad run of games. That so, getting that win was important, and um, doing it in in a bit of style too. Obviously, very important as well. Yes. Well, next, just looking at the next game, Swansea was one of those one of the few games last season where you can actually point to and say we weren't on it. Yeah, we, we were. Shit. Aw- <laughs> we were we were awful in the first yeah. half at Swansea last season. So. Um, hopefully we can go there and and um, do a bit better down there. But uh, it was interesting to listen to Mowbray after the game. I think a big thing, and he said it straight away, the next three games, we've got no midweek game. So the next three games are Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. He's got plenty of time on the training pitch, um, which I think he wants. And I think he was desperate for. I think he's when we've got these new players and, you know, the communication and, he's, you know, we're, we're trying to do different things and he's trying to do tweaks. You can just tell by the way he was that it's not. It's obviously not easy to do it when you've got midweek games, and it's more about kind of fitness and keeping the players sharp than it is trying to work on tactics and work on the training pitch. So I think that that's a big thing in the next few weeks. Um, and I know it sounds daft, but the you know traveling down to Plymouth without a midweek game ahead of it, we've got like a week to prepare for that because that that long trip down there. So I think that suits us. And again, you've got the sandwich in between those two away games of Swansea and Plymouth. You've got the uh, the Rooney effect, but it's an early <laughs> kickoff as well. I never, I never like thing is, thing is, I'm uh, say the Rooney effect. And I think, I think those were the words that Mowbray used as well when he was talking about yeah, what was coming up. Yeah. But Birmingham have started horribly under him. I'd rather be playing them than Swansea next week because they've they've lost their first three games. The fans aren't having them because they didn't want rid of the last manager. So again, just as I said before about this match being the right time to play them. Fingers crossed by the time we do play Birmingham, it's the right time to play them too. Yeah, it could be. But I think I think what Mowbray, rather than how Birmingham are doing, I think it, Mowbray was more pointing to the fact it's just going to be a circus just because it's it's Rooney. Yeah. You know? yeah, There'll yeah. be, be more focus on it. There's more kind of a bigger spotlight on it. So it, it's kind of more getting our players in that frame of mind just that, yeah. you know, you take that out of the equation and it's just like we're playing Birmingham City and... Like keep all that fluff out of their mind um, to keep them focused. So I think it was more from that point of view. But you're right. I mean, the, the thing is as well that the championship table, I mentioned it in the preview for the game. I mean, I think before the game, there was something like eight points separating third down to 21st um, before the game. And I think it stretched out a little bit, but it's just ridiculous. And, and every win has such a massive impact. I mean, we could be looking at, we could be looking at the fact that we are, you know, we could be now sitting... 11th 12th something like that rather than sitting seventh and thinking yeah we're in the mix and it's just you can you can drop so much and that has such an impact mentally you know whether you go right we've dropped down to mid-table and you've worked so hard and played so well and then you find yourself mid-table just because the table's so tight so every every win every point you pick up in the championship it seems to have a massive impact on your league position but yeah I think the main thing was to get three points on the board and the last two performances for me that that's the most important thing that we're getting better and we're, we're improving because we've said that even when we were kind of sitting third, fourth in the table, we both said that there was more to come 
and we were still in second gear. And mm-hmm. uh, I think the last two performances assured, and it showed the players as well. Jack Clark said it after the game. He said they, they knew that the Stoke game wasn't good enough. They've been happy with the last two. And if we can keep getting better um, and we're sitting seventh, that's got to be a good sign. And uh, and yeah, November on paper seems like a good month. Hopefully we can, but we've said it before, but hopefully we can top <laughs> up. I mean, four games where you'd think we'd get a decent amount of points in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's come back together some point during the week and talk about Swansea. Yeah? We've got a couple of days off. It's nice not having midweeks. Like, it makes all this stuff difficult, doesn't it? it means we're, <laughs> means we're we're trying to cram things into podcasts and all the rest of it. But um, at least we're doing it on the back of a win, which is of course lovely. So, yeah, there we go. We're going to Swansea next weekend and um, another difficult game. They're only they're only four points behind us. They're all hard games, as Mowbray likes to point out all the time. But we'll be back with a preview for that. Quick plug for the book again. If you haven't already picked up a copy, make sure you do. SAFC 365, which is Rote Report's first ever book, is for sale. £10, 400 pages of absolute quality. You can catch that at the top of pretty much all of our articles. We've got them pinned on our social media posts. Uh, it's also, of course, hosted on the I Love Supreme website. So head across to their website and you can get that there. £10, like I say, all profit goes to Southern Community Soup Kitchen, as part of our fundraiser this year for them, which we do at the end of each year, it all it all goes to a good place. So make sure you pick up a copy of that. And um, yeah, we'll be back with a with a pod ahead of Swansea. So make sure you catch us for that one. Uh, cheers, Chris. Thanks as always, mate. No bother. Always nice after a win. Yes, and cheers to the listeners. We will see you all in a few days. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.